uh, we'll go ahead and get started. Um, and so, yeah, I'll go ahead and pray. Um, Lord, uh, thank you that we can come here together this morning um, to, to worship together uh, and to, to, I don't need that, uh, to praise your name and to have fellowship. Um, Lord, I pray, uh, I pray that you would speak to us this morning uh, through your word. And so every, everyone here, you can just take a moment to, uh, to, to uh, prepare your hearts and to ask God to speak to you, and you can ask God to speak through me um, and to, to give me the words uh, that I need to say. Lord, help us to understand this morning what you have to, to tell us, what you will reveal to us about yourself through your word, um, how, how it is that you want us to live, and that you would reveal, reveal to us uh, er- areas in our life that we need to change, uh, areas that we need to, to, to turn over to you, or areas of sin that we must turn away from. So speak to us, Lord. Uh, in your name we pray, amen. Nations conspiring against nations is what this is about, right? And it's a common theme that we see through history. It's perceived that there is a national leader or a nation that has maybe more power or influence than it ought to have. And so the other nations or the other leaders, they come together and they plan and they work together to throw off the burden of domination of this nation. And we see this, of course, today played out every day in the, in the news. Um, European countries and other countries around the world are gathering together Uh, And they're working together to defeat Russian aggression by imposing economic sanctions and imposing, you know, putting political pressure on Russia and supplying Ukraine with material to wage war. So this, and, and this isn't so different from what we're seeing here at the beginning of this psalm. In the opening of Psalm 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And so we see the kings and the rulers of the nations coming together, conspiring, plotting to break away from under God's rule and from under the rule of the Israelite king. They set themselves, they take counsel together against the Lord. Now God is good and he loves mankind, and he cares for all of mankind, and he provides through common grace. He provides for all of mankind, and God is also the one true king of everything, right? He rules, and he's sovereign over all. God is the good king. He is the good ruler, but the kings of the earth, or the kings of the nations here in this psalm, they view God's benevolent rule as bondage. It's restrictive, And what they desire is freedom. They desire to be free from God's rule. So we're talking about nations, states, kings, and leaders. But if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we too are rebellious against God's rule in our own lives. Right? And I don't just mean before we're converted. 
before we give our life to Christ, even as Christians who love God, who love Jesus, we can have a rebellious streak running through us. At least I know that I do, and I'm seeing some nodding, and so I, th- I, think we can all, I think we can all agree with that. So what is the response? What is God's response to these nations that rage, to these peoples that are plotting, that are setting themselves against God? And what does this mean for us today? So look at how Psalm 2 starts. Look at verse 1. Uh, the psalmist, or the author, this is an anonymous psalm, the, the, the psalmist starts off with a question. He says, why? Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? So it's a rhetorical question. We're not looking for an answer, a specific answer to this, because uh, this, the, the answer is evident. And this, this asking why, it's kind of like asking why bother? If God is all-powerful and if He's all-knowing, isn't resistance futile? So by asking asking the question, the psalmist is also making a statement, a statement in the form of a question, so that we, the the hearers of the psalm, we have to reflect. And And we will reflect, we'll reflect on our own attitudes towards God's rule in our lives. So the rulers, they gather together and they they make this statement, they make this plan together, and now in the the next stanza in verses 4 to 6, we see God's reply. Just at the beginning of verse 4, he who sits in the heavens. So God is in heaven, we are on earth, and this isn't to say that God is far removed above what happens down here on earth, rather this shows that God's power and God's authority are real power and real authority. And then derision, this is just another way of saying that he laughs. And so, he's he's here, he's, excuse me, he's there in heaven, he's on his throne, and he laughs. He sees the rage and the plotting, and he laughs. And it's like, in my mind, it's like uh, a lap dog or a small dog. This dog is king or queen of the sitting room right? And it runs around, and it runs and around, and, uh, and it looks out the window, and it sees the postman, or it sees the cat, and it's plodding, furiously plodding, running to this window, running to that window, looking out through the door. How can I get out there? How can I get the cat? How can I get to the postman? I want to bite his ankle, right? But we, who sit on the sofa, observing all of this, we laugh, because we see what's going on. We see the futility of this little dog's plotting, taking counsel, all in vain, right? So the nations say, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. But God says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So God speaks of his sovereignty and of his divine rule. You can scurry around in a fervor, planning and plotting to your heart's content, but I am the one who's in control, my king that I have put in place. This is the king that rules. So we've heard from the, the kings of the, of the earth. We've heard from the kings of the earth. We've heard from God. And now we're going to hear, hear, now we're going to hear from God's anointed king. In the next stanza, verses 7 to 9, the king speaks. And the first thing that God's anointed king, that Israel's king says, is here in verse 7, he says, I will tell of the decree 
And the decree that he's going to refer to, that he's referring to, is the covenant that God made with David. He says, um, where am I? He says, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And this covenant, uh, or, or this decree that he's speaking of, is, this, is the covenant God makes with David. Um, and this, this happens in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is near the end of David's life, and he's... Uh, considering the future, and he's thinking about his legacy, and what, what's gonna, what, what is he going to leave behind? And the part, the part that we're interested is in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14, where God speaks to David about David's future descendants, and God says about this descendant, he says, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And so Israel's king here in Psalm 2 affirms that what God says in verse 6 that he has set his king in Zion, his holy hill. Uh, He is affirming, I am this son. I am the descendant of David. I have been appointed by God to be the king. And then further in the covenant, and this this isn't in the psalm, but because we're thinking about the covenant, because of what the king says about himself, further on in the covenant uh, uh, with David, God says, again, referring to the descendant, I will discipline with the rod of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. And your house, David's house, and your kingdom will be made sure forever. So we're reminded that this kingdom that God is going to establish, it will not end. And then in verse 8, we see that God says to this king, he says, or has said to this king, ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the end of the earth your possession. So this kingdom that God's going to establish, uh, it will rule over other nations. Excuse me. This kingdom will have dominion over other kingdoms. It will have dominion over other nations, over the whole earth. And in verse 9, he says, and you shall break them with the rod of iron and dash them in pieces like the potter's vessel. So this kingdom will rule over the other nations, and if necessary, it will break them. So think back to verse 1. We start with why. Why do the nations rage? Why do the nations plot in vain? It's resistance to God's rule. Resi- and resistance to God's rule is futile. See, God's kingdom endures. God's kingdom is over all, and Uh, God's kingdom endures. But it's God's kingdom that rules. And if necessary, your kingdom will be broken. Your kingdom will be dashed to pieces. And And this is the warning. This is the warning that comes here in the very end, in the last stanza. The psalmist says, to be wise and to be warned. In verse 10, therefore, O kings, because God is the one that is sovereign, because God is the one that's in control, because God's appointed king is the ruler of the eternal kingdom, because God's anointed rules with an iron scepter, and because you have set yourself against the Lord and his appointed king, be wise and be warned, O kings, O rulers of the earth. Instead of rebellion against the Lord and against his anointed one, look at verse 11 and 12. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. 
Now kiss the sun, that's a bit of an odd phrase, right? Uh, and simply put, at this time, it, uh, a lesser king would kiss the feet of a greater king in order to show submission. So it's a way here in the psalm, it's a way of showing honor and showing that we know uh, that you know your place in the pecking order, so to speak. You're submitting to the son. Now, a few weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 1, uh, which is a comparison of two ways of living, right? Uh, it's the way, living in the way of the righteous versus living in the way of the wicked. So in the same way, as we looked at that comparison in Psalm 1, these kings and these rulers of the earth, they're given a choice. Serve the Lord with fear, show honor to his king, or perish in the way of the wicked. Because those who seek God are happy, they're blessed. Because blessed, blessing here is happiness. So, again, what the kings of the nations perceive as bondage is truly, in reality, it's security and it's happiness. And this is the blessing that's on offer. Now, if you're a Jew living in the kingdom of Israel or in the kingdom of Judah before the exiles to Assyria and Babylon, you might hear this psalm read aloud. Maybe it's read out loud at the coronation of a new king, and you think to yourself, yes, yes, this is my God, this is my king, and this is the kingdom that I am living in right now. This kingdom will never end. And you look forward to a kingdom and a legacy of kings that endures forever and has dominion over all nations. Now, we know history, so we know in 586 BC, Jerusalem is destroyed, the temple is destroyed, the Jews are carried off into exile, they're taken away from their home, and they're taken to Babylon. So if you're a Jew living in Babylon, hearing this psalm read aloud, or, or thinking about this psalm, what, are you, what do you think about that? Or what if you're a Jew living in Jerusalem in the first century? You're in your own land, but your land is occupied by the Roman Empire, and your land is ruled by kings that are loyal to the Roman emperor. So what do you, what do you make of this? What do you make of this psalm? Are you confused? Certainly, you're reminded of God's covenant with David. David's house and David's kingdom shall be made sure forever. But how do you reconcile that with what you see around you? Because there is no world dominion ruled by Israel. There's not even an Israel anymore. There's no king. In fact, it seems that Israel is the one that's been broken with the rod of iron. Israel is the one that's been shattered like the potter's vessel. So what happens during this time, after the exile, is the Jews, they're looking at their own history, and they see that this covenant that God made with David, it hasn't been fulfilled. So it must be that there's a future king, a future king or a future leader that God will raise up to lead Israel that will rule over the nations, that will rule a kingdom that doesn't end. 
And this king that the Jews are looking forward to, that they're placing their hope in for deliverance from exile, for restoration of their national identity, for conquering of their enemies, this descendant of David that they're looking for is called the Messiah. Now we know that Jesus is the Messiah. And if we look back a little bit at a few things in this psalm, we might see things a little differently when we're thinking about Jesus rather than an earthly king. So look at verse 7, where the king, the anointed, says, I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Now think about Jesus' baptism in Matthew 3, or the transfiguration in Matthew 17. God speaks audibly, saying, this is my son, with whom I am well pleased. In verse 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Well, the kings and the rulers of Jesus' day certainly did set themselves against him, didn't they? They killed him. In Mark 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 15, uh, Jesus is beginning his ministry, and it says that he went into Galilee and was preaching, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, so repent and believe in the gospel. But the kingdom of God is at hand. You remember that one last week, huh? But this is where we live, right? We live in this tension of already and not yet. Jesus has come to earth. He's inaugurated the kingdom, but we're still waiting. We're still looking forward for the kingdom to be finally fulfilled in the end, right? We're looking forward to that, and that's where our hope is. Our hope is in Christ. And I love how through, you know, God through His sovereignty, you know, because this stuff doesn't get planned out, right? Uh, <clears throat> Jason says, hey, we're going to do a thing on Psalms, and we're like, oh, we'll, we'll pick these ones, right? But I love how God and His sovereignty, this dovetails so well with what we finished, you know, with 1 Peter, you know, in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, you know, Jesus is our living hope, right? Because we ourselves are exiles. We are also strangers in the foreign land, and we're waiting, and we're looking to Christ for our hope. So, we're meant to place our hope in the Lord. We're meant to place our hope in the Lord's anointed Jesus, and look, we're, we're meant to place our hope in Christ, like in terms of salvation, right? Um, we can't save ourselves from our sin, and the, you know, the punishment of sin is eternal separation from God, okay? So, yeah, certainly we're meant to place our hope in Christ there, but we're also meant to place our hope in Christ at all times. It's not, you know, salvation, uh, I put my faith in Christ, um, I became a Christian, okay, I don't have to do this anymore, right? We're meant to continually be placing our hope in Christ at all times. And that, again, that's the blessing. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Blessing means happy, right? Truly happy are those who take refuge in Christ. Um, <clears throat> the, the commentator, uh, Derek Kinder, just had a nice little quip on his commentary on Psalm 2. He says, there is no refuge from God there is only refuge in God, right? There's no refuge from God. There's only refuge in God. And taking refuge is about where I've placed my hope. The kings 
And the rulers of the nations, they plot and they hurry about, seeking to throw off the chains of bondage of God's way because God's way is confining. They want their freedom. Their hope is in themselves, right? But like I said at the beginning, we're the same. We're not too different from these kings. We seek freedom. We place our hope in ourselves. I seek freedom. I place my hope in myself, right? And I bet you do the same thing. So where is your hope placed? Thinking of Psalm 1, the two ways, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. Which way are you choosing to walk? Now, in rebellion against God, it's not, <clears throat> you know, placing my hope in myself, it's not always, you know, looking like what we might think, you know, because we, we might think of like your typical named sins, you know, like adultery and murder, stuff like that. Uh, but it's not, it's not only that. Um, so Denise and I, some of you know, some of you don't, Denise and I are currently in the search for housing. Our landlord decided to sell the house that we're living in, uh, that we've been renting, and so we have to move out. Um, and it's hard. It's hard for me. Um, and it, I'm not angry with God. You know, it, it, it's not like a, how could you do this to me? But it's hard because I have to dismantle this little kingdom that I've built for myself. See, I'm in control in my, in my little kingdom. You know, I have my, my office. It's set up nicely. You know, I have my table where I can stand and type on the computer. I have a garden, you know, where I can go and sit and drink coffee. It's conveniently located. But I'm trying to control the situation, at least in my mind. My mind, my thoughts, they run wild. They're pushing back against the reality of the situation instead of seeking God and seeking refuge in Him. And this isn't about housing, right? This is about my heart. There's a little empire that exists in my mind, and I want to protect it. And I've placed my hope in something other than God and other than Christ, right? So what do we do? So the application here is not very far away. The application is right here in verses 10 through 12. The call is to be wise and to be warned. The things that we do, we serve the Lord. We rejoice in the Lord. We submit to Jesus. Why? Well, other than the fact that it says it, and that's what we're, so that's what we're meant to do, why do we do this? Because this is how we take refuge in God. We serve, we rejoice, we submit. And this is where we find our hope. This is where we find our refuge and our peace. Still a little bit vague. So how do we do this? Some of you might not like the answer because it's like one of those Sunday school answers where you're like, I don't know, read my Bible, pray. Well, if that's what you guessed, you're right. So think about... Uh, the, last time, the last time that I was up here, we talked about Psalm 1. Walk in the way of the righteous, right? Because blessed is the one whose delight is in the instruction of the Lord and meditates on His Word day and night. Psalm 1 tells us to walk in the way of the righteous. Psalm 2 is not so much different, right? It tells us to submit to the rule of Jesus, 
in our lives, in my heart, because blessed are all who take refuge in Him. There was, uh, when I was doing my my study, there was something instructive that I found uh, about meditation. We talked about meditation a bit before, Um, but if you look up in verse 1, uh, it says, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Well, the word plot there in Hebrew, it's the same word that's used in Psalm 1 for meditating. And you're talking about meditating on the word, uh, you know, meditating on the law of the Lord day and night. And I found that very instructive because I, I thought, well, that's, that's really weird. How is meditating and plotting the same thing? But I, so I was thinking about this, but when, when you're plotting and conspiring, like all of your effort, like the, like the dog, you know, that wants to get the cat, all of your effort is focused in on this one thing that you want. And that's what you're plotting. That's what you're meditating on, is this one thing. So what if in our little kingdoms, what would it look like in your little kingdom that you're trying to protect, that you don't want to give over to God, that you don't want to give, you know, God's rule over your kingdom? What would it look like if instead of like all the effort that you're spent, that you spend, or that I spend plotting to maintain that kingdom was instead plotting on the word of the Lord and letting that work in our hearts? And if you remember talking about the word of the Lord, we're like this tree, you know, on the river, drinking from the river of God's word. And this is how we take refuge in Him. This is how we give over our kingdom, because as we, as we dwell on God's word and we submit to Him, we submit to Him more. His word comes into our hearts and it works in our minds, and we give over the things to Him that we're holding on to so tightly. So, blessed are all who take refuge in Him. See, there is no refuge from God. There's only refuge in God. So we should seek Him. We should serve Him. And we should rejoice in Him. Let's pray. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you that you teach us um, and instruct us. God, help us us to examine our hearts and to see the areas in our lives that we hold on to that we're unwilling to give over to you. God, help me. Help me to trust you in the areas where I don't want to trust, where I want to control. Soften my heart towards you in these areas. And for all of us, I pray the same thing. Soften our hearts towards you in the, in the, in the areas of our lives that we hold on to. Teach us, teach us to love you more and teach us to know you. Amen.